0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio.
1: This week on Municipal Mania, we have a special episode to talk about something that's a little bit more off the beaten path of our normal topics. Um, I will kind of give a heads up that this is going to be a very, very emotional topic for many people. We're going to be talking about the East Marshall Street Well Project, along with the movie Until the Well Runs Dry. We have interviews with Dr. Yuzi, who is a professor of the African American Studies Department at VCU, and he did a lot of the research on the East Marshall Street Well Project and helped put together this. Film and we also have Chelsea Higgs Wise with us here both of which Are part of uh, an event a Screening that we're having on the 17th which is Tomorrow so just giving everybody a Heads up of our our topic because we do Recognize this is a very very uh, Powerful conversation to have So we want to start though by giving a little bit of Backstory for those who might not know What this project is we reference It right now as the East Marshall Street Well project that is VCU's Name of how they talk about it So if you want to learn more about this from VCU Uh, Their website is actually emsw.vcu.edu and they've put a lot of information there about the process of uncovering the well as well as uh, what the next steps of the process is for them. What is the East Marshall Street well? In 1994, when they were building the Contos building that's at 1200 Marshall Street, they uncovered a mid 19th century well. And in this well, there were human remains. What we ultimately found out, which I believe happened closer to 2012, is when there was actually testing done to find out who the human remains were of. It's 44 adults, which are considered people that are 15 and over, and nine children, so people that were under the age of 14. So it's human remains of over 50 people at least. And what was found is that these people had been experimented on and their bodies were used in the medical school and the Medical College of Virginia. So I want to pause and read something that's actually from the recent final report on the East Marshall Street Well Project to really explain who the remains were of and how this happened. So this is a quote from the article or the document that's on VCU's website and it's on page nine at the bottom of it for anybody that wants to look it up. Enslaved Africans were not the sole targets of this particular form of medical racism. Whether enslaved or free, simply being a patient at MCV and other Southern medical schools may well have put African-Americans at risk for becoming, quote, material for clinical instruction. Many African-Americans of the time and since held this view, which was discounted as, quote, superstition in an 1854 editorial of the Daily Dispatch. We may never know with certainty whether the bodies of specific East Marshall Street well ancestors were obtained through illegal grave robbing or as a result of quote dying while black in a medical school infirmary what can be reasonably assumed however is the East Marshall Street well ancestors did not voluntarily contribute their bodies as gifts for medical instruction the option to refuse likely did not exist in the context of antebellum Richmond where African American bodies could be taken by force when clandestine body snatching failed from this more sobering perspective Barry 18, that's a citation reference, offers an alternative approach to understanding how the ancestral remains came to be in the well. She frames the cadaver trade as an extension of slavery through which owners continued re- reaping profits and the suffering of the enslaved persisted even beyond the grave. From this point where these human remains were discovered in 1994 and in the 2000s, it took obviously a, a good amount of time for VCU to respond to finding these human remains in, in a substantive way. And now, in August 2015, is when they convened what's known as the Family Representative Council, or the FRC, and that's 10 members that are intended to really represent the families of the people who were found in the well. And their one of their goals was to really say, so what now? Recently, I believe it was December 2018, The final recommendations of the FRC are now in place, and they have presented them at an event at VCU. Actually, I attended with Chelsea. To run through really quickly what those recommendations are from the Family Representative Council, there's three categories. First is research, memorialization, and then internment. So starting with research, first is return all ancestral remains to the city of Richmond. I believe they're currently the Smithsonian if I remember, which should yeah, not be are. in D.C. Yeah, yeah. Right. Be, yep. Two, VC should determine the feasibility of locating and retrieving East Marshall Street well ancestors possibly still beneath the Contus building. No further analysis of the ancestral remains or associated artifacts should take place prior to the approval of an East Marshall Street well project research agenda developed with community input. Future analysis of artifacts associated with the East Marshall Street well ancestors should involve only non-destructive methods. Research should include study of the long-term implications, impacts, and relevance of the East Marshall Street well site history for contemporary African-American medical experiences, DNA and microbial analysis of the ancestral remains should be undertaken for the specific purposes of reconstructing regional genetic ancestry, assessing molecular sex of juveniles, reconstructing health environments, and identifying possible biological relationships with a targeted sample of living descendants, and VCU should establish an East Marshall Street Well Research Standing Committee to assist with the request for proposal development for vetting and selection of proposals. So those are the research ones. Next is the memorialization recommendations. First is physical memorialization of the East Marshall Street Well ancestors and their experiences at four locations within or near the Contos building. Most immediately, VCU should place signage indicating activation location and historical significance of the ancestral remains near the building entrance. Construction of significantly appropriate memorial and interactive learning center at the site of internment. VCU should establish an annual memorialization event to be observed by all medical students prior to undertaking their first anatomy class. VCU should develop formal guidelines for appropriate university actions including community engagement in the event of future discovery of human skeletal remains or material culture. VCU should establish an East Marshall Street Well Memorialization Steering Committee to assist with the request for proposal development and the vetting and selection of proposals. And VCU should initiate a formal study of the legacy of slavery within the history of the university and mechanisms for addressing this legacy. Lastly are the internment recommendations. Internment of all East Marshall Street Well ancestral remains and associated artifacts underground at the African Burial Ground located in the city of Richmond, an internment ceremony designed by funerary experts in West African burial traditions in consultation with the Family Representative Council, coffin boxes designed and crafted by West African artisans for the burial of the ancestral remains and related artifacts, and VCU should establish an East Marshall Street Well Interment steering committee to assess with the request for proposal development and vetting and selection of proposals. So now with all of those recommendations from the Family Representative Council, yes. the next step is VCU is looking to get applicants to a committee to enact each of those types those so things, yeah a committee for the memorialization, a committee for the interment, and a committee for the research piece the research. of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where we stand today on the research of it. And now we're going to have an opportunity to talk to Dr. Yutsey, who has done a lot of the research on this. Um, and then also Chelsea Higgswise who has been part of the community and finding out her perspective of how she came to know about it. Thank you both for joining us today, Chelsea and Dr. Yutsey. Hey!
2: Sean <laughs> is fine.
1: Sean is per- Okay, good. I- All right. All right. Perfect. More information. Excellent. If you both could just introduce... Call me by... Miss Wise. If you're okay. Hey, Chelsea. All right. Madam <laughs> Wise. <laughs> All right. If you guys could both maybe jump in and, and talk about your background. Who are you and, and what is your role today?
2: Well, I'm Sean Utsi. I'm a professor in the Department of Psychology and chair of the Department of African American Studies at VCU. I've been at VCU for 15 years now. I came to VCU from Howard University, where I was also a professor in psychology.
3: Um, Chelsea Higgs Wise... I'm on with you guys pretty often, but I want to let people know that I'm what I do for a living as well, besides advocate and put on marches and things like that, is I am a member of the Initiatives of Change USA. It's a nonprofit here in Richmond, Virginia. And technically, I am their narrative change manager over there. And specifically, I work on narrative change around racial healing. So conflicts within race, specifically um, white and non-white, and looking at that history of how we got here, specifically narrative change around historical changes so that's why I'm here today and yeah I do a lot of storytelling around history
1: obviously we're here speaking of storytelling around history Mm -hmm. is to talk about the East Marshall Street Well Project and this is something if anybody didn't follow this moment on Twitter I think we tweeted something out and exploded. it it kind of went up and you jumped in and mentioned that you have this movie a copy of Until the Well Runs Dry which (laughs) i had been trying to find this movie I've seen like the Vimeo trailer I'm like I really want more than five minutes of this that's kind of where we ended up coming to today, but if you could also talk about how you found out about this movie and where you've been on finding out and learning about the East Marshall Street World project. Sure. So I was uh,
3: introduced to Sean through my work at Initiatives of Change and myself at Initiatives of Change in another company were looking to maybe do a screening of this film. I was really excited about it. He brought the film. He said, you guys keep it. Watch it. And for whatever reason at the agency, I just took on to it and went home, watched it. And I think that night I actually watched it three different times. My mind was just blown away. So I was really excited about the screening initiatives a change in the other agency. We worked together. We reached out to VCU. Initially, VCU was on board. They were like, you know what? We could really even show this at the Egyptian building. How crazy would that be? And if you see the film, know the history, you would know the significance of that. Hopefully you're coming Thursday. But that's when I was lucky enough to go actually out of the country for work. I came back, reconvened with the partners for the screening, and many things had changed. I recognized these signs of being blocked when I start talking controversy and what happened is that we went from around 200 to 300 people to about 60 people that they wanted in the audience. I was like man why did you want to cut that down and they're like well in those 60 people why don't we just have stakeholders you get 30 we get 30 you know that's like our board members. It's like an invite now it It went from
1: open 200
3: 300 now to a 60% invite. A very specific invite and when I pushed back it was well you know we we just really want to make sure our our high-level stakeholders understand this first and I said Said, well, haven't you guys been talking about this on campus for a while? Yes, but we just want to give a warning. Maybe the second show, the second screening could okay, be for the com- damage control. Hello. Yeah. And also, don't we get the second of everything? Why We always have to be put on second. The community is always the second to have the information. And also that, you know, that second information is going to be a different narrative. Bingo. Right. So y'all know me. I said, hell to the naw, I'm not doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out. And luckily enough, I have a great team at IFC that was like, if you if you don't think we're doing it right, let's not do it cool. So I took it upon myself to have like private screenings at my house that just meant anybody that was there, guess what we doing? You get a little history lesson on Richmond. And it was an hour long, you know, and every person I showed was just like, what in the world? I would say something else, but I can't on the radio. And...
0: You it, can, I'll beep you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but even people from Charlottesville, because they mentioned UVA, and that uh-huh. people from the South, from South Carolina, North, Car- uh, North Carolina, were, were like, what in the world? Because y'all, when you come to the screening on Thursday, you'll see that this is more than just Richmond, more than MCB. This is a systemic piece that has been happening to black people, black bodies in the South, uh, since after... Not well, just the South. There you go. schools in the North In the as North well. too, I don't It's yeah, a medical it's, school thing. Exactly, it's a medical school thing. Thank you very much. So just the understanding of, of that piece. So I went and was showing everybody and it, it's just been coming out of my mouth. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I talk about this all of the time and I bring up the Well Project and I bring up it's not just the East Marshall Street Project. Call it the Well Project. That way we know what we're talking about and one day I just get on and and on Twitter and Jesse's like, yo, this tweet is going crazy. Mm-hmm. And I look and it is and I look at the comments and it's just like people what? are flabbergasted. Why see you students just
1: minds blown oh, all, like all over the, the wall. Oh, like the quote tweets of I I'm sorry. What?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, and I see Jesse going around like, which well, is there's a video and on this and I was in that moment. In that moment, it was just like Chelsea, it's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time, Chelsea. So I was just really excited to to be able to have access to that story, to have access to Sean, and again to be connected to such a great team of women that have access to the community, especially a political community mm-hmm. that understands why this message is so relevant, especially what's going on in VCU. So that's how I got here and. And here we are, yeah.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for having the movie. I think, honestly, within two hours of saying, hey, but I sent her the link to the, the library, how you can book it online. Yeah. Within an hour, she's like, by the way, it's this day. Figured it out. January 17th, yes. we're having this All day. Right. Let's like, it. I was do it. I was yeah Yes, so I really appreciate you in this process. Yes. And so now, um, probably a much larger question and longer question is, so how did you get here, uh, Sean?
2: Wow. <laughs> That's a very good question. And sometimes I, I wonder myself how I got here. <laughs> but the short story is, I was... Uh, Developing a film camp for young black children in the East End uh, has a consequence of a conversation I had with Holly Jarima a filmmaker from the D.C. area, who is the director of the cult classic Sankofa. And so he had come to VCU to speak. I was chair of AFAM the first time then. And he and I were talking about the plight of young black males and how to do something positive and progressive to change their lives and and, and allow them um, opportunity. And he said that we should get cameras in their hands and let them tell their stories. So I wrote a small grant to do a film camp at VCU. And as a consequence of my work in that film camp, Anna Edwards came to see me to ask about the work i was doing and i told her we were you know training young people to do documentary films about their stories she said you guys should do one on the african burial ground so that was my first project the african burial ground and so my goal there was to simply tell the story of the struggle to reclaim the african burial ground from vcu at the time vcu had a parking lot that was atop the burial ground and there had been a struggle going on for years between the community and the university to reclaim that space. Um, And there was not much success. Uh, And all of a sudden, the politicians, who will remain nameless, I'll name them later. Um,
3: (laughs) Gotta come Thursday to hear
2: the name. The politicians had cut a deal with VCU uh, for part of the burial ground, the parking lot, uh, to memorialize. And they had a meeting over the weekend, announced the deal on Monday. Uh, The community lost their minds and said, this is unacceptable, we will not accept this. And that's when the struggle began. Uh,
1: what year was it? Like, what kind of year were these conversations? I'm just trying to figure out. Was this like 2000s or? It was 2000s, 2008, 2009,
2: 2010. Um, and so, in chronicling that story about the struggle to reclaim the African burial ground, everyone kept saying, "You know, the medical college was stealing bodies from the burial mm-hmm. ground for mm-hmm. experiments." Just Kind of how they framed it and so i kept hearing that i didn't think much of it and so I, I discovered in doing my research for the african burial ground project that there was a a widespread practice of grave robbing not from that place but from um oakwood cemetery uh oakwood cemetery and the porpoise cemetery that's on hospital hill right were the primary targets of grave robbing and so i began to uh kind of keep that in my mind as i was like, closed out the African Burial Ground Project, and that became my next project, uh, until the well runs dry. The focus of that project at first was not even on the practice of grave robbing, but on the person of Chris Baker, who was kind of the, the conductor of that operation in Richmond. Although he was simply a cog in the wheel, Of the institution that kind of uh, perpetuated this practice. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a conductor on that that ride. And so he was of interest to me because when I came to VCU during the faculty staff orientation, they gave out a handbook that had a picture of five white men in medical attire and Chris Baker on the side of them. And I said to myself quietly, because it was the orientation, I wasn't talking. Who is this uh, who's this black man? Who's <laughs> this <laughs> black man? He must know where all the bodies are buried, literally. And and, and he, he he did, because mm-hmm. um, he buried them. Yep. And so at first it was Chris Baker. But as I began to do the research, I discovered that Chris Baker was a small piece in this, in this story. And I began to discover, even at the Medical College of Georgia, uh, a Grandison and Harris, and I won't go into too much detail, but he was, the doctors pooled their money to purchase him mm-hmm. at auction for the express purposes of grave robbing. And as you mentioned, this was also a, 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 a phenomena in the north in new york there was a, the doctors riots was a consequence of grave robbery um and so again the practice uh, really latched on to the uh, institution of chattel slavery in richmond and that's why richmond was, just, was such a major player in this market uh so much so that they were shipping bodies North to UVA to UPenn, uh, because there was an abundance of material here, and in fact, the medical college's uh material. brochure
3: material. I
1: just want to <laughs> this is what uh,
2: this is the words, the language that the, the medical college of Virginia's brochure uses to describe why you should come to MCV to study
1: in their advertisements, to students. their advertisements, in the newspapers. Students. Yeah, yes. they have lots of material. And what time frame, like years, are we talking that this occurred in the grave robbing and, and...
2: Uh, from from the from the 1700s to the late 1800s. In fact, the burial ground in question uh, was closed in the late 1700s. the The actual the, the, the African burial ground. Mm-hmm. That's why we know it wasn't the place where they were robbing bodies because the medical college didn't open until uh, the early. 1800s.
1: And this is just, I just thought it was a random question. The Medical College of Virginia was originally the Medical College of Hamden-Sydney,
2: yeah.
1: which is in Farmville, Virginia, is the actual college, but right. they opened up their medical branch in Richmond City. Correct. Was there intentionality around them opening uh, has there been research into, like, why did they I decide to open in Richmond location. 70 miles away from their main campus?
2: I, I'm not sure, yeah. but I understand that the Civil War had a lot to do with the Medical College's success. Um, Can
3: you talk more about that?
2: Well, at, at the point that Richmond became a, a, a industrialized center um, leading up to the Civil War, And and, and again, this is why Richmond is so interesting because the enslavement of African people in Richmond was very different than plantation slavery in the surrounding areas and how African descent folks functioned in that environment Um, in terms of the industrialization uh, of Richmond uh, as an economic center. Uh, The medical college, as it was Hampton, Sydney, and I I don't know a lot about why they were thinking, let's move to Richmond, but this is kind of the, the, the economic center of the area. And so it made sense that not only uh, was it central for people to kind of come and visit, but when the Civil War broke out, lots of the uh, training around trauma surgery and and other things were happening at MCV. That's why it kind of became the MCV as it is today in terms of the early start it had. But I don't know the history of the hospital, just the uh, practice of gray robbing around the hospital.
1: Mm -hmm. More dirt for y'all to dig up? I know. It is. I went to Randolph Macon so I have all the questions about Hampton City at all times. <laughs> I went to
3: Longwood, so no, same. I try to forget
2: all yeah. about Hampton City. But I know that the 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 records of the practice of paying resurrectionists for bodies goes back to the early eighteen hundreds. Resurrectionist. Those were the people who were, the title they, they were given loosely or right. informally.
3: Oh,
0: because I guess that's
3: kinder than Grave Robbers. They were right? Grave Robbers. Exactly. Right? They were the people Grave Robbers. I mean, they gave them a really sexy title of Resurrectionist. Resurrectionist.
1: Well, I think you also just hit on something, pointing out the word Resurrectionist, is that this was really, I don't want to just say a, a known thing that was happening, but the system was an accepted
4: practice. And it was a necessary cog in the wheel. It was needed, absolutely needed in order for doctors to have, you know, material to use. And so it was just kind of ignored I, for I the would, morbidity of it. But
1: was it ignored? I mean, they're like when the governor is pardoning medical students and Chris Baker, who was involved in a grave robbing, like, how how accepted. And I almost want to say like it is endorsed the word I'm looking for. Yeah, Um.
4: maybe that's a better description. Yeah, because I'm sure the community was like,
3: uh-uh. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they, yeah, they were like, "Uh uh-uh. But again, you know. And per history, there's always been resistance out there. There's always been somebody pushing back saying no, but the Mm -hmm. black voices is not heard. That's not what's listened to. It's not influencing policy. And and that
4: also speaks as to how important it is as a process. You know, black people always get the short end of the wheel, but Chris gets pardoned because his job is important.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I, I think that Chris had been arrested prior to the pardoning arrest but yeah. uh, so it wasn't cool but it was wink wink kind of uh, yeah. the consequences were almost like a pass uh, right a pass, a pass almost yeah. like decriminalized if you will okay so it, there were risk involved but very minimal risk it is surprising to note that chris baker was pardoned for a felony by the governor when we have people incarcerated on misdemeanors mm-hmm. today hello because his role was so important yes. and he was so instrumental
3: I want to hear more. I, I know that out there, there is a, a story of what VCU is saying of what's happened since this kind of discovery. Um, you, you've talked about how you've kind of got interested in that, but lead us into the documentary and and the dynamics with
2: VCU? Good question. Well, as I said, the, the whole thing started with regard to the struggle to reclaim the African burial ground. Not only is that where the documentary's idea came from, but the interaction of myself and others with Dr. Rao uh, was centered around the African burial ground. There was a meeting between myself, Sad Al-Amin, King Salim Kalfani, uh, Anna Edwitz and Phil Waledo,
3: and and a little background of these are grassroots people that have been working in this space and politically still in black, and still here working in that space uh, very closely. So as well as Dr. Rao, who's the president of VCU, just giving some context for everybody.
2: Thank you. And so we had a meeting with Dr. Rao about the African Burial Ground. Uh, this was after the intensity had been turned up. There were arrests. There were protests daily by students at the VCU, folks in the community. And so... Shout out to Friangu Femi. When we met with Dr. Rao, he was very generous in his understanding of our concerns. When we left the meeting, nothing happened. And so uh, one of the members called him out uh, very publicly. I met with Rao for another reason. And he mentioned, or I saw Rao in passing. This is when he was speaking to me. And he let me know that he felt ambushed and that should something come up in the future, I should give him a heads up. And so when the documentary, Until the Well Runs Dry, was planned to be screened on November 11th, 2011, I remember 11, 11, 11, uh, I went to meet with him to tell him it was coming. At that point, uh, he brought Kevin Allison, and typically when you meet with officials at the university, they bring the other black person who works and, therein. And
3: that's who Kevin Allison is, and off, this is not something that Sean is saying, just as a community member, folks may or may not refer to Kevin Allison as like the Obama of VCU, the black representative, but yeah. Yes,
2: Kevin and I go way back, Mm -hmm. and so... um, Kevin
3: Allison is also the person that was very involved in my blocking at VCU, by the way, just putting that out there.
2: But he and I go back uh, to my first coming to VCU. He was already on faculty in psychology when I came here, and so I didn't object to him coming into the room. Uh, Dr. Rao asked him to uh, create a process whereby the community could be engaged around proper memorialization of the remains, and and that's kind of how uh, this well committee process was birthed. Uh, and it wasn't because VCU woke up and said, "Let's do the right thing. How can we help you guys out with something?" <laughs> Rarely,
3: how it ever happens. Yeah. It's Had to be clear.
2: To be clear, this was uh, a consequence of all the hell that was raised in the struggle to reclaim the burial ground. And the people who were mentioned at the ceremonies are not the people who are responsible for bringing this to fruition. Uh, The people I mentioned, that haven't mentioned, were the ones who were raising hell with the African burial ground, brought to bear the pressure that the university and Dr. Rao wanted to avoid going forward. Mm. And so they acted uh, expediently on this issue to avoid um, the fallout that we had on the burial ground. So it wasn't really a, yeah, the people who were thanked had nothing to do with this.
1: Wow. I think I also just want to point out, I mean, you said November 2011 screening, and acting expediently on this at that point, that's still 17 years it's... after the remains were uncovered. And now we're sitting here now in 2019. And it we still I mean,
4: haven't gotten there.
1: We just got in 2018, the recommendations from the Family Representative Council and now starts the process of actually implementing those. So just to give people that context of when we say expediently, <laughs> Yeah. We are talking 17 years after where now they're starting to see the parallels of, frankly, the resistance and the organization and black power in Richmond of saying, let's get ahead of this. 17 years two, two Se- decades seven later years.
2: no it's seven 2011 is 2018 uh, well i was 19- saying from
1: 1994
2: Oh, okay <laughs> yes, yes, they, yes yes for, yes, yes. For, for, for
1: vcu they had 17 years
4: you're correct to figure this out because yeah. I,
1: I mean in 2011 i think i was reading in the family representative council's um documents that came out where it actually referenced 2012 is when we found the um the race we, we got information about the race of the human remains yes so uh,
4: before then it was just assumed
1: we, yeah. right so to give just really want to underscore, it's a lot of time that VCU had to act on this, and, yes. and this is my it out and get it right, right. Like I really want to highlight the people that are in charge of this now and are having a lot of these things now are not the people that made this happen. Right.
2: This is true. Right. There's you're absolutely right, um, and quite honestly, the well was found before the well was first discovered when the when the uh, when the Egyptian building was being constructed. Right. There are other wells around that area. Huh. Um, they discovered one of them. This was the one that was not previously discovered that had been recapped, uh, that they're aware of. Um, So they've known about this in the plans of constructing the Egyptian building. You're right, there's been adequate time and it seems as though the new resistance is to kind of slow roll it and just right. maybe they'll go away. Right.
3: So why do you think now, I don't know if it was just me or what, but I felt like at the beginning of this year was a lot more talk about this. It just kind of came back around last couple of years or so. What kind of re-sparked this conversation again, do you think?
2: Well, the the work that had been done by the planning committee, which I was on, was problematic uh, in that what you're describing in terms of the attempts to regulate what information makes it to the community was afoot. foot. There were politicians in the room uh, who proposed out loud wow. that we shouldn't release all of this information to the community because there might be riots in the street, is what they said. I confronted them. They were surprised because I think in their world they're in charge. Yeah, right. In my world, I'm in charge.
3: <laughs> there you go. I feel that same way, Sean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so they had never been confronted before, apparently. But uh, they were indignant about it, but. Mm. I told them that I was insulted that they would, they would say that publicly.
3: Yep, and that's exactly what Kevin Allison told me. And when I, he said we we want to keep our viewing small, is because we aren't sure how the community will react. I said, what do you mean react? He was like, you know, just the outrage, the emotion that comes, and I, and then from there I realized just the fear yes. of the reactions. They could not handle that, and and. It does. Like what you are describing right now is this audacity to just be so openly blunt to. Yeah, we're not going to do we're it. We're not going to do it. And just block information from the community, like the the transparency to not be transparent. Um, and I, I hear that all the time when I sit down and meet with community or council members they'll say things to me I'll come back and be like I can't believe they just said that straight to my face but yeah so there's people in power that that hold this information from us historically right this is why we do not know our history because no. there's those those meetings in those rooms that said uh, let's not put it that way let's not tell the community yeah let's whitewash this let's whitewash this right so I'm, I'm I'm not surprised I don't know who those people were but it's reasons like this where I don't know if I can trust certain politicians that were around those days you know the Joneses the Dolores McQuins, those folks I just I looked back. And I'm like, you were the people that got us here. I don't know. But uh, so I just kind of cut you off and jumped that's right okay. in there. Yeah, yeah.
2: But so that that's uh, how that went down. And so we struggled for a while to even figure out who would be on the planning, I mean, the, the community representative council, because I, I thought that there was going to be another attempt to stack it with people who were kind of the the buffers between the bourgeoisie and the community, mm-hmm. whose job it would be to kind of cap mm-hmm. that angst. And make sure black folks don't get too riled up, too riled up and and, 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 free. And that was certainly something that was considered in picking members for all these councils. Of course. And you can tell that the the theme of this idea that there's an expectation for black people to ask kindly for 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 redress, uh, to ask kindly not to be exploited or abused. In the statements of President Rao when he said acknowledge contributions of people who work quietly, who brought us together and didn't divide us. Now I know these words are meant for me when he says these because he's told me this to my face. And when I've been in rooms with him before and he's spoken publicly, he's, added, he's uttered other similar comments. Uh, he really believes that that you should ask kindly to be respected and acknowledged.
0: You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio.
2: Lord, it hit that of people, baby. Standing at one bare proud. brown. Yeah, it does. Now, here's what tells me that VCU is not serious about these things. They're just doing kind of repair work. Because I'm still concerned, to this day, the First African Baptist Church on Broad Street. Do you know where it is?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Have you been by there lately? Mm -hmm. It's a VCU office building. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how the First African Baptist Church, one of the earliest churches in the country, certainly an historic site, a national landmark.
4: Exactly. A
2: sacred space of black people is an office building. classroom space for VCU. So how can we have a conversation that's genuine about you doing the right thing about the burial ground when when it seems to be a pattern. Mm -hmm. If we go to the African burial ground and we go to the well in the First African Baptist Church, there's almost a fetish with black spaces that they're demonstrating. And there are other things that um, were uncovered in the early years uh, under Trani's leadership. And Trani is the one who should be here apologizing, not Rao. I appreciate his attention to uh, pay attention to what the community is saying and people are saying and offering an apology. Uh, But he's not the one who needs to be held accountable. President Trani is the one whom this happened on his watch. He was at the site when they discovered the remains, telling them to hurry up. If you look at the pictures that are in the documentary, right, with, the, with Dan Marr, Who's recovering the remains? The cranes are in the background. You can see people in them. Wow! The construction didn't stop. It's legally required to stop construction to do an analysis first. Make sure it's not a crime scene, Correct. and then historical analysis. Right. They told the Department of Historical Sources, "We'll take our chances." And the attorneys advised them that they could negotiate this without stopping construction and deal huh. with the fines if they came. And we have the former director on film telling a story about this, Dan Marr who was traumatized by his experiences here, is also on film talking about this, but he told me a story about when they built the School of Engineering, the old one now, right? They were going to pave the parking lot. So they had to move the Quaker house that used to be on the parking lot site to across the street. Do you know where it is? Across the street on, what street is that? Behind the tennis courts, the old engineering school.
3: Yes. Oh, Cumberland, all that. Yes. Cumberland.
2: Cumberland. There's a Quaker house right there. That Quaker house used to be on the parking lot site. Dan said when he supervised, he supervised the moving of it. Mm -hmm. When they lifted the house up, there was a cellar under the house. Yeah. He suspected there was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Quakers, sell it in your basement. Oh, right. Yeah. All, yes. of the, all of it. Underground Railroad. All
3: of it. Makes right. sense.
2: Guess what VCU did? Poured concrete. They poured concrete and paved the parking lot.
4: It's a silencing. It's a continuation of the silencing of black narratives and black history in Richmond since forever.
1: I think that you're, you're phrasing of saying it's almost like they have a, a fetish of black spaces. I know, I can't get that out of my head. Because it's, it's exactly what it is. And part of it, I think, is just the ability of of This framework that white supremacy has put in Richmond because they're fully benefiting off of, first of all, withholding information from the community Mm -hmm. to where people don't know you should be fighting this or knowing what it is that you're fighting or that there is a fight to be had. Mm -hmm. Because all of these places that we're talking about, if they were places for white people in in white history, I do fully believe that VCU would have had a huge fight. And part of that, again, comes to money and resources and the the historic inequities of Richmond and and caring you have to care first a- absolutely I, ha-
4: I have to be a part of the conversation for you to care first you you cared enough to move the Quaker house but you didn't care about this historical context under it that's not a part of the history you want to preserve so I we'll silence you that didn't you didn't feel like care. you needed
0: to move the African Baptist church you felt like you needed to turn it into your office space but well, that's what I'm saying like that you'd have Just to care ruin first sacred spaces you'd have to care the first they I don't have even to know. see
3: us as human first
0: oh,
4: thank you there you go they have
3: to see us not as cargo not as material they have to see us as human
4: not cattle like we right you gotta care first and that's that's a consistent theme that we've seen not in just this but in all things vcu as it pertains to richmond and space right they, you'd
3: have to care first right and nothing going back to what he said earlier nothing has ever been, come for change by asking nicely and kindly no, Never. And it's, it's no. frankly insulting, especially to
4: ask me as a black person or any black person to ask nicely for anything because you didn't ask nicely for not a damn thing. Not my body, not my family, no. not this. No, no. You didn't ask nicely. And so for you to we just ha- didn't we just have this conversation on Twitter for you to ask me, Ooh, nice, we, we did. you know, for you to ask for it, it, how insulting is it? I've been sweating and it's not just the heat in this room since you said that, that he's numerously t- has told you numerous times that you should, you know, you get better results if you ask nicely. That's that's exactly why we have the negative images that we see when black people are demanding that things change and they burn down half of Ferguson and you have people not under understand what the difference between a negative ca- chaos and a riot or me demanding that you pay attention to me because I'm tired of seeing black bodies laying in the street.
1: Richmond example, four days of riots in Richmond after Thank Martin Luther you. King Jr.'s assassination. Yes. And then you get and legislation passed to protect, protect some damn monuments. Yeah, like, I mean, that's And these are the annex re- Chesterfield County. Right. Yeah. Like, like in to-do loop, black votership. Like, these are <sighs> constant responses that are based yeah. on the devaluation. Yeah. Black we people to have to
4: perform nicely or mm-hmm. you don't, we can't Deal with you.
2: But there's also a context that I've observed over the years, and even in Rao's response, he has a history at the VCU that people don't know about, I'm sure. I remember when he first came to VCU, he was lauded as the, the, the Obama of VCU because he was about the same age, a person of color, and they didn't say male, but male, right? Mm-hmm. So when he came to VCU, they hired a brother. It's a black person that may not be related <laughs> to me yet. We got it. We got, got, it. It. Got, it. got it. I got it. Yeah, I yeah, got it. Go my ahead. black let's ass is on it. this
4: show. <laughs> they know what it means. Go ahead, Boo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Wayne Turnage. He went to the same school I went to, North Carolina A&T, Aggie Pride, and we were happy. They hide. This is. This is. But this is. A, 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 a three this is a, a Jedi mind trick.
4: This is how it always works. It always works. We see a black person in that place and we get excited. He's the
2: assistant though. He's always the assistant. Mm. Yep. But Wayne had a title. He was chief of staff. He was formerly uh was it Kane's chief of staff? Who was the governor? Yeah yeah he was Governor Kane's yes. chief yep. of staff. Yep. They brought Wayne to BCU oh. to yep. be Rao's chief of staff. Yep. Right? Now a couple of things happened off the bat. Rao's wife was very active in the president's office. She had the president's staff watching her children. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a problem.
3: That is a problem.
2: There's a huge cultural class problem that has a context. So, well, Rouse from. Rao's actually from Mississippi, I believe. or grew up in Mississippi. His mm-hmm. wife is actually from India, but they're both of Indian heritage. Mm-hmm. Caste and class issue in India is real. Yes. It's like American class on steroids. Uh-huh. So the black people she had watching her kids in the office had additional significance to it because of the race-class <laughs>
3: exactly. dynamic.
2: Exactly. There was a public argument at Panero Bread between Wayne Turnage and Dr. Rao's wife. This was observed by people. It was recorded in Times Dispatch, reported on it.
4: Wow. She was
2: insisting that he fire his admin assistant, who came with him from the governor's office to VCU. Right. Huh? They had been longtime friends, and she was happy with her. But Dr. Rao's wife, Monica, was insisting that he fire her. About two weeks later, Wayne would step down, resign from the position of chief of staff in Riles' office. Kevin Allison became the special assistant, the black replacement. Yep. Story for another day. But.
4: Find, find another black brother because we need the face in the room. One like we can God.
2: manage. Right. Yep. Not that I'm saying anything about anybody.
4: No, but that's fine. We all know what that is. Black people in professional spaces, we all know what that looks like. You just try not to be that person in the room. You're right. We got to
2: find the one that's manageable. Uh, Wayne. That works nicely. Wayne was not manageable because we met with Wayne. Me, King Salim, and Sada Amin met with Wayne about the African burial ground first. Before we met with Rao, uh, he, in fact, arranged a meeting with Rao, and we told him where we were coming from, and we felt we, could, we felt comfortable in our meeting with him. We met at Mama J's, felt him out, he felt us out, so we thought the meeting was authentic. So when he resigned, it didn't surprise me that he would have some you know, values that he would not compromise. Yeah,
4: good for him. About okay. a month later,
2: this is the interesting part, about a month later after Wayne resigns, Rao is being reviewed by the board of directors. ooh. ooh, ooh. It was in the paper, President Rao to be reviewed. First time in the history of the presidency that a person has been reviewed in their first year of service. Rao got spanked for that and other kinds of behaviors that I think the board of directors thought were not what they were looking for. I also think that, and I'm speculating, that Rao didn't realize that the people who who, who, who kind of govern BCU, the board of directors, or board of visitors, are, are appointed by the same people who Wayne Turnage worked for almost 20 years, Right. so there was some pushback. Long story short, Raul's vocalness around issues of race, not diversity, of race, began to kind of become silenced. I remember when Raul first came, he shocked me. I was afraid for him. He came to my meeting in psychology, right, where I was one of two black people in the department of 45 people. Ridiculousness, right? And he said <laughs> that white privilege is a problem, huh. that my children even go to school and have to deal with privileged white kids who haven't learned to check themselves yet. He says, when I'm at BCU, and, I, and I'm in the corner like this, <laughs> yeah, but, oh, he don't know where he is <laughs> <laughs> They're going to kill him But I thought it was refreshing It was a honeymoon period They got to him after the review Things changed mm-hmm. His wife was exiled I think she's at the university BCU Qatar Qatar right oh, I always say Qatar Cutter. And that's where she's been assigned Wow I haven't seen her since Because there was a running joke Between me and my colleagues about they were gonna get Monica on me if I didn't behave myself. Oh no! <laughs> but she was. Thank yeah. like
4: you, babysit her kids. Yeah. How demeaning. That is. That is a lot. So okay. That's some context. That's some context. Yeah. President Rao. Yeah. And
2: that's he he he's he's kind of leveled out now and now even his early pushes about inclusion and equity and he started the office of inclusion excellence he he started a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. used to be on his mind but now it's not on his mind not on his tongue yeah
4: because he wants to keep his job
2: he wants he wants to keep his job
1: and I think that's so important to understand just like the politicization of some of the actions that are coming through when VCU is making decisions and understanding just the space that they're coming from on some of it is part of the barrier that we constantly have is is it politicians in part maybe Mm -hmm. no you have to ask nicely
2: to get results.
1: Well, I'll vote nicely. So now he's, and like any now other he's person, nicely.
2: Like other people, including people of color, who want to protect their position, they very quickly find out that their job is going to be to keep that, right, that mm-hmm. anger and angst down and, yes. and to kind of control mm-hmm. the other black people right. in the environment, and that becomes their job.
4: This right. is Black in Corporate America 101 right here, right. just for all of y'all, if
3: you don't know. This is tokenism. This is the magical Negro. This is...
2: that's how it goes down.
1: So if we can kind of transition a little bit to talking about why these things matter today and just underlining the importance of the impact that over a hundred years of using black people's corpses for the benefit of white science and medical industry and what that means for VCU. And if we can just kind of go there and maybe chime in, whoever wants to start talking about like, what does that mean? And what has, what impact has that had Mm -hmm. today? Well,
3: before i started talking about race all over social media i was a social worker for 10 years in richmond city and yes i was a clinical social worker providing that mental health Access, but my clients, individuals, needed medical access all around. Right? I, I tell people all the time, yes, I am a clinician. I can provide therapy, but my main role was to connect them with all the resources to keep them alive, to have them survive, to keep them healthy as much as I could. And one of the biggest barriers were getting my clients to the doctor. Was hearing them say, "Nope, I'm not going to let them operate on me. They're going to take, they're going to take my stuff." I'm born and raised in Richmond. Hearing that, and me and Fran have talked about this too. Yes, just hearing that from our elders, our
4: parents our grandparents that was what you get told you right. don't yeah don't do that
3: and uh, my internship was actually at Virginia Treatment Center for Children at MCV right there around that corner of where if you're going to see the film on Thursday, you talk about that. And just knowing right here in Richmond, we're still battling that historic narrative that is creating a barrier for people of African ancestry to get that medical help. And if you're paying attention in Richmond, you hear that right now we're talking about healthy living and the culture of health and uh, social determinants of health and all of these things, where you live matters, how long you survive, that is all important information But you also had to have the context of just the piece of getting people to the doctor and then also having them be comfortable enough to talk to the doctor and then be comfortable Uh enough to accept doctor's recommendations. Also, to be brought up to the place where they can also ask questions, to push back on the doctors. And that was my entire role as a social worker, which pushed me into the advocacy realm because I was like, my folks would not be able to get anywhere if I wasn't sitting right here next to them. And that's ridiculous. And so it really just puts us back. I just kept going backwards, backwards. How can I... Figure out how we got here and it got right back to this kind of historical context. So, as a social worker, I see the relevance and African storytelling and how we got here and, and the exploitation, white privilege to today. We're looking at the era of terror. and Montgomery, they're talking about EJI and lynching. This is the exact same thing, talking about equity and built environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, looking at uh, grave robbing, that's a built environment. That's land right there. How did they treat us there? Just like in the lynching pieces, when we're talking about the African burial ground, we are still talking about Shaco Bottom, y'all. Have you guys been down there to the burial grounds? Have you seen just the parking lot that's there now the Devil's Half Acre, looking what's what's put into that. Also, just really understanding that Richmond is having a lot of money. I talked about that culture of health. That means that we've gotten national grant money to talk about health and wellness here. And what conversations are we having? Not all of them. We're not. not. all the conversations. Why are we, RVA DIRT community members, why are we having the screening, right? This isn't okay. Why are we having to go to the library to do it for free and 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 to just have this access? Why are people replying on Twitter and saying, what? Never BCU students this. don't even know their history of and their that, own institution? Ne- Medical students, I've never heard of this. Right. So right. it it to me, if you've been listening and you're not outraged, if you don't see the direct connection to this, then, well, to me, as a, a social worker clinician, that's a lot of inner work that you have to do. And I'm surprised that you're even still listening. Yeah. But, but truly, we've all got to find our, our own connection to this. Because whatever, wherever you are in Richmond, whatever kind of history and work that you're doing, whether it's finance, lawyer, we're having a lot of conversation about the Coliseum right now. And, and I've seen Dr. Rao at all of those press conferences, right? So it's important to understand the context and how these decisions are really just made, as well as the black African experience in Richmond.
4: Yeah. And it's not, it's not, it's even, we can tie this to, there's a, a, a national context of the treatment that black people get in the medical field right now and how black people are not perceived as feeling pain. And we're not, we're seen as these superhuman people that, you know, get different treatment. And there's a reason why, and we don't have to go to a national context. There's a reason why in Richmond, you have people that f- are fearful of going to the doctor yep. or people that are fearful of, you know, what's going to happen to me. And I mean, I came, I came here. High school, and I was living away from home. I was going to a boarding school, and one of the first things I was so excited to get my driver's license because you know that was something that you know all kids do in uh, high school. And so, my the first thing my grandparents told me, which they spent a lot of time in Richmond coming back and forth visiting the hippodrome and different things, and they we had a lot of family here in Richmond and in Charles City. And they said, don't get your driver's license in Richmond. And I said, why? And they said, well, because you're going to put that, you know, you've got a bleeding heart and you're going to put that, donor organ donor thing on your driver's license and i was like why not you know i give blood i do all these things and they were like baby don't put that on there black women and black people go to richmond and they don't come back and i heard story after story about them coming up to see james brown at you know the hippodrome and some girl got drunk and nobody ever found her again Mm -hmm. or some you know somebody went to visit their family in church hill And they never were seen again. And it's like, so is this like Richmond of the Body Snatchers? Like, what do you mean? And he was like, don't do it. And so, you know, I'm hard-headed. So I went and got a driver's license and put organ donor on it, you know, after my class, my grandparents drove from Smithfield and came and got me and took me back to the DMV to get it taken off. And they were like, you cannot live in Richmond with this on your driver's license. And it was like, I just couldn't understand fully what that came from. And then they told me, and I started looking at it, and of course I didn't realize that the documentary, you know, any any of these things were coming. At that time, this was in like 2005, 2006, so these things weren't, you know, in shape. But I started looking at the history, and I started hearing these verbal histories of Black people disappearing in Richmond. You, you don't go to the doctor in Richmond. You don't, you know, I went to go get my teeth worked on at VCU and my grandparents flipped out and they were like, don't do it.
0: You can't do it. Well, and to your point, both of you, to your point. So um, Until the Well Runs Dry actually helped me put a, what I thought was a strange phenomenon together. Like I didn't understand it in my mind. So um, I used to work at a nursing home and I was in activities, which is basically a paid family member Mm -hmm. for people, you know, because they get dumped off and forgotten all the time. And I had these very dear ladies to me um, who happened to be black tell me every. Every single time they went out to the doctor's office, sweetheart, I might not come back. If I don't come back, make sure you go look in this spot and this is for you, you can uh-huh. have this. I'm not coming back. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course you're coming back. These two ladies didn't believe they had diabetes. One of them lost a leg, the other was blind. They would not believe it. And they say, I'm not coming back. The doctors are gonna take me. They're gonna use my body. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm gonna miss you, I love you, thank you for being there for me. All of this, stuff, and I never understood it. And then I watched your documentary.
4: Mm-hmm. And now it makes sense. It yeah, makes sense. Yeah. My
0: mind was all over the wall behind me, right. and I still, right now, I'm getting emotional about it. Those women lived in fear every time they were rolled out of that nursing home that they were never going to come back, and they let their bodies decay because they were afraid of the doctor and mistrusting of any diagnosis. And so that was a really powerful um, moment for me.
2: Let me share with you another important piece in this pattern of mistrust and, and events that kind of was that that in the community there is a, a coming up a an effort by VCU uh, remembering MCV's role in the first human heart transplant okay right oh gosh we know this story well we know the first human heart transplant, Right. Yeah. Uh, and there is some some discussion about the role of a South African doctor who had visited MCV and was collaborating with some of the doctors here to figure out the science behind the heart transplant before it actually happened. They attempted it one time, they couldn't find the donor, and MCV refused because the blood didn't match even though the donor was willing. Long story short, uh, there is a black man, I think his name is Tucker, Mr. Tucker, who had injured, who had gone into a coma because he fell off a ladder while doing some housework around 1968, and was in a coma at MCV. They took his heart and used that to conduct that first human heart transplant. They never even attempted to contact his family. Doug Wilder was the family's attorney, (laughs) and the record, the court record, says he squandered this case by trying to show off and be flamboyant in the courtroom. There's a book coming out.
4: It sure is.
2: On this topic. The author, his name is Skip. I'm blocking on his last name. I'll find it. I met with him, and he told me the story, and none of it was surprising, particularly about Doug Wilder. So so there's a history at MCV that is, is simply part of the long narrative, right, including the grave robbing and other untoward behavior. But in, in the documentary, there's reference to a similar scenario in which a person goes to the hospital for a minor procedure, and they die. Uh, and the person was convinced that somebody needed a heart. And she says, and I bet it was a white person. Where did that come from? Now, somebody watching the video might say, oh, she's just peeing paranoid. Right, no, no. And then you hear about actual events of them taking hearts, right? There's a record. It's not somebody being paranoid. Believe black people. (laughs) There's a record right. of it.
1: Right. I think that's and one. They're,
2: the... And they're celebrating. They're celebrating. Celebrating not it. Not a mention.
3: Not a mention of the of, men what a who sacrifice heart they took. Mm-hmm.
2: Just like there was never a mention of the people who lie now well. Yep. And I can't even begin to tell you the number of celebrations that MCV has had about all their first in the world, second in the country, national cancer center. Da 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 da. How much of that advancement? It's, almost, it's just like the U.S. itself. We can't calculate the 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 jumpstart that the bodies of African people gave the U.S. to put them ahead of the race of all other countries to mm-hmm. be this world power, right? Uh, you can't calculate the advantage that those bodies gave MCV to have the advantage over smaller schools, less well-resourced schools to be third in cancer research and first in this, that, and the third? Right. How did the technology, the advancements in science as a consequence of having these bodies available at the pickings advance that goal? So, So talking about reparations, this is a real case with VCU. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. This
0: is a real yes. case. And even today
2: as we speak, VCU is driven by, driven by NIH, NIMH um, grant funding. That's how everybody makes their money there. Whether we realize it or not, uh, the grant funding that comes in is a consequence of the participation of black people in clinical trials and in other research that churns this engine, right? And and, and VCU doesn't even give them an acknowledgement.
3: And and the response of, oh, black people overreacting, they're just acting wild. I just want to mention that that's trauma. That's 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 what we're seeing and that we've renamed to just overreacting or you know paranoid
1: well and I think kind of the title back to part of the beginning conversation we had is these were known conversations that were happening it's documented in newspapers where the Richmond Times dispatch says that black people were being superstitious and the the constant not believing the stories and experiences of black people it just continues time and time again that we see it and I think that's where it's like comes back to why does it matter that we talk about this you know how can we as individuals Individuals, How can the medical industry, how can we grow from something that we're unwilling to talk about and right. that is being intentionally subdued and at times hidden from the powers that be of VCU and other entities? Right. If we're not talking about it, I don't think we can move forward on it because we don't understand the full context of it.
3: Which is just legitimately the pattern that they've laid out for every sector and every function of society in order to maintain that power and influence for the myth of white supremacy.
2: And can I just real quickly yeah. give my, my next project a plug? Oh. Yeah. Yes, please. On, do, please. I was to say. You
1: do you have anything to add as I we wrap do. up? Please.
2: Because it's very apropos in terms of what we're talking about, how this almost white fragility in terms of some of these topics uh, result in the squelching of efforts. My next project is going to be a documentary film on the Central State yes. Lunatic oh, Asylum.
3: Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is. Wow. Good.
2: Yes. Awesome. I. Speaking of stories, a quick story. hmm I had went to a local uh, funder. Uh, a TV station that will remain unnamed because I had a relationship with them from my other projects. They aired them on their stations. And so I met with the director who was a generous guy. He gave me pep talk, said, yeah, we'll love it. At this point, I didn't have a topic. On the way home, I remembered my interest in that, right? It was in my heart. I could now do it. I wrote up a proposal, I submitted it. I heard back from them saying that he presented it to the board and they were uncomfortable with the title.
3: Knowing your title from this one we're talking about, I know you were straight to it, so. The title
2: was simply the name of the facility. Oh, wow. The central state lunatic asylum for the colored insane. They were uncomfortable around colored, and so okay.
3: That's the historic term.
2: That's the historic term.
3: You're actually naming the actual place. It's the place. It's the place.
2: And so then then he says the other thing they were worried about is that this doesn't really go where they want us. I'm saying there's no happy ending. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's not
3: neat and tidy for you.
0: So
2: they didn't they wanted a happy ending.
3: Oh man. But oh. you No, they wanted you to ask nicely.
2: They wanted me to ask nicely.
3: <laughs> so are you how was that project going? Obviously. I whatever. withdrew
2: it. I withdrew the project from okay. them.
3: Okay, right. And so
2: I'm going to do it like I did these and, and hook a crooked. Okay, yep, that's, awesome. That's that's, uh, that's the history of black people. We've been doing so much for Hello. so long with so little that we can do the impossible we'll with nothing. It.
1: With nothing, that's it. We'll so, find a way. Well, thank you So both. look for that. Yes. No, that, I, have, I have like 10 million ideas that I'm thinking right now about this because that's- <gasps> But you, we, wouldn't,
2: you wouldn't, let me just say this. You think this stuff about the burial ground is crooked. We have the records, the treatment records of these formerly enslaved African. Mm-hmm. This is, we're talking 1868 when this thing opened, 1868. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This was a place, literally, that was parallel. you you seen the documentary, "A Stay by Another Name, about mm-hmm. the convict leasing system? Yes. The hospital was seen as a cheaper alternative to incarceration, All right. right. Yes. And the, 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 the lobotomies, the sterilizations that happened there on these black folks- Yep whose crimes were being uppity or, or being religious. Right. Yeah. Or being free. Freedom was free. listed as uh, a, being free. A a a, a cause. In these days they gave causes of the diagnoses. Yep. Yeah. So it's going to be incredible.
3: I will give a big plug right here to Ellen Chapman who's been in my inbox uh pushing to have this conversation and following up about this particular project in general uh, she's i think an archaeologist that's doing some some work on that and trying to get more people involved in that so i'm really excited that you're doing that i can't wait for that conversation to come up
0: so this will not be the last time you're on our show because not. we will be discussing not.
2: this if I, you find somebody let me you know
1: I, oof, <laughs> finding it that's new goal now
2: that's the the goal. But
1: thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much, Sean, for your work on this project and future projects. And we're looking forward to the screening Yes, with both of you all tomorrow, January 17th. It is sold out, uh, but hopefully we'll have more than just this one. If you'd like to find out more
0: about how you can attend a future screening of Until the Well Runs Dry, you can hit up our website, bit.ly forward slash UWRD screening. That's where you can sign up for wait lists and find out when the
3: next screening will be.
4: So we really appreciate y'all following us. You can follow us on all platforms at
3: RVA Dirt. Oh, and Chelsea Higgs Wise, give me a follow, y'all. Yes. You want to put yours out there too?
4: Okay. Well, he doesn't have one. That's okay. You can just, just come support his there. Stuff. You go. Yep. Yeah. Come and see him tomorrow. Yep. How about that? So we thank y'all for listening. We thank y'all for joining us. And as always, Flint still has dirty water. RPS is still not fully funded and Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. See y'all next week.